This morning, uh, we are going to continue our journey in Romans. And for the past uh, two weeks, we've been in Romans 12, and we continue in there uh, this morning. But I want to start by looking back, just in case you need a refresher or maybe you missed out uh, the past two weeks. This will serve as kind of a foundation of what we're going to be discussing today because they all go together. So last week, Michael Harrison uh, took us through Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. And I think it's worth the time to stop and and read it uh, and then look at his summary from last week. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us have had, has one body and with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What a great passage that Michael walked us through last week, just showing that when we put our faith in Christ, Christ gifts us to the betterment of the, the capital C church, the body of Christ. And he concluded the, the teaching with this statement. We need to understand the depths of who we are and trust how God has designed us so that we can give ourselves wholly to the community of believers. And he talked about we don't want any missing parts and, and that together we grow. And I, I was thinking about this and came up with this summary in my own head. If you are missing, then others are missing out. And so are you. Because God has gifted you as part of the body to contribute to the overall. And so if, if you're taking a break, if you are not pursuing uh, being part of that community, community, if you are not utilizing your gifts, if you are missing, others are missing out on how God has gifted you to serve. And then the week before, Ken kicked us off in Romans chapter 12 with the first two verses that uh, are a little more familiar uh, and very impactful when we live them out. This is what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And Ken took us through all the different words in these two verses and the deep and rich meaning and how they apply to our lives and how this world tries to erode uh, truth in our lives and replace it with false narratives and, and false worldviews. And that we have to consistently go back to the standard of truth, God's word, and the grace that we find in his gospel to stay uh, renewed in, in Christ and to live it out. And Ken's conclusion was to give ourselves wholly to God. Don't be shaped by the world's values, but let the truth of God's grace in the gospel shape our entire lives. 
And what a great application, what a great summary, what a great challenge for us to live that out in our daily lives, going to God's Word and spending time in it, studying it and consuming it so that we can see what is good and what is not, so that we are shaped by God instead of the world. And this is so key to what we're talking about today. In fact, I'll keep going back and pointing back over and over again. It may annoy you, and it's okay, because it's so important. I don't want us to miss it. That without this, what we're talking about today doesn't work. Without renewing our minds and being transformed by the word of truth, the gospel of Christ, trying to live out biblical community will not work. And that's what we're doing today. We're looking at transformed community living. A community of believers living together, being transformed by God's word and his truth, and living it out with other believers. And we're in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. I'm going to read the whole, and then we're going to go verse by verse. It says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Paul gives us a baseline of how to live in Christian community with other believers. And he kicks it all off with it needing to be marked by love. He says, love must be sincere. We're going to start out by looking at this word love, because if you've been around here a while and listened to Ken teach, you know that there are four Greek words for love. And this one just so happens to be the Greek word agape. And as I was reading this and studying it, it, I just kept finding myself laughing, because when I was on staff with a college ministry called Student Mobilization down at Henderson State, I came across... uh, a young lady who was a leader in one of the campus ministries. And we became friends, and we hung out with a bunch of people. And she would always go, Shane, I love you with agape. And when she met Anna, I love you with agape. And I'm like, you are weird. But she always said it. And as I was studying this, I'm like, man, she got it. I was the weird one. Because agape has such deep and rich meaning. And it's a sacrificial, affectionate love. And up to this point, Paul only uses it to describe something God was doing, something God was the example of. And so I think it's worth taking a look at three verses in Romans that lead up to here where Paul makes a little bit of a transition. So in Romans 5.5, Paul says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's agape has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's agape has been poured out. But God demonstrates his own agape for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. God's agape drove him to allow Christ to die for us while we were still lost in our sin. Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the agape of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
God's agape is, is keeping us close to him. And to, to tie it all together, John Stott did a great job, uh, so I'm just going to let him say it. So far in Romans, all references to agape have been to uh, the love of God, demonstrated on the cross, poured out into our hearts, and doggedly refusing to let us go. Isn't that a great way to say it? Doggedly refusing to let us go. But now, Paul focuses on agape as the essence of Christian discipleship. And we're going to see this played out in the rest of the verses, where this agape love is the driving force for us to live in Christian community. But we have to go back and say, okay, well, if we're supposed to live sacrificially, what does that look like? And Paul says, agape must be sincere. And, and we get that, right? We don't want someone to fake that they care about us, that they fake like they like us, or they are around us because it's advantageous for them, right? There's some benefit to them, and so they're acting all nice and close to us. But really we know there's something else at the, the heart of that other than something sincere. But this word sincere is a Greek word that means without hypocrisy. And the word was used of the mask used by actors on stage. The actor didn't necessarily feel as the mask signaled. And, you know, back in the day they had the happy face and they had the sad face. And depending on the scene, they'd put on the happy face and it was supposed to show their emotion that way. But it didn't necessarily mean how the actor felt. Paul says that our love for one another is not to be a phony mask. It's not supposed to be role-playing, but rather be the real thing that we should genuinely desire God's best for others and speak and act towards that goal. And I think that's the picture of sincere for me. The, the masked love or the, the love that isn't in it for God's best for the other person. And we desire that love in our lives. We desire that love to be pointed to us, don't we? And when we experience it, we want more of it. But what about us offering that to others? Looking at the example of how God demonstrates this agape, we are supposed to receive that and distribute it without hypocrisy to other believers around us. And then we'll have a community marked by love. This love that sacrifices self for the betterment of the other, that desires God's best for the other person. Paul goes on to say that this love also has to be holy. And the way he explains it is, we are to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good. And hate means what you think it means. It means hate. It means to detest. It means to be repulsed by. Evil is something that should repulse us. It should be detestable to us. It is something that we should passionately be against because it is in complete opposition to our good God. And in contrast, what is good, we are to cling to. And I did some study on this word cling in, uh, in your bullets, and I put latch onto. But it is the same word used in Matthew 19 when it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and will be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The word for united 
is the same as cling. We are supposed to have an intimate relationship with what is good. We are supposed to be joining ourselves to the things that are good and being repulsed by what is evil. But how do we know? Anymore, we are blending truth and lies so much. Good and evil seem to be, our our culture is trying to blend them together or actually flipping them in some instances. So how do we stay on top of and understand what is evil and what is good, what is supposed to repulse and what is supposed to be latched onto? And again, I go back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Man, our our world, our culture is trying to give us a worldview, is trying to give us information to shape us and mold us in its image. And if we aren't spending time and time and time and consistency in God's word, being renewed, having our minds renewed from all the trash that the world's trying to put into it, it is hard to discern what is evil and what is good. And that's where mistakes are made. And community is broken because a lot of what's evil is to divide Christian community. It drives wedges. It it, uh, disperses. It tears down Christian community. And this whole Christian community doesn't work without each of us doing Romans 1.12. Or 1, I'm sorry, 12, 1 and 2. There's a whole bunch of numbers. I'm not very good with those. Uh, But it doesn't work with that. In fact, without a renewed mind, we quickly drift back to our default, right? And our default is self. Our default is self-centeredness, self-preservation, and self-reliance. Because when we're not being renewed in what God's purposes are and who he is and what our life is about, we look to ourself. And our good becomes distant, evil becomes acceptable, excusable, even embraceable, and love becomes advantageous. It becomes not about the other person's best in God, but what we want and what we can get out of it. And that is opposite of what Paul is calling biblical community. And so we have to, if we can't miss Romans 12, 1 and 2. See, I told you, we, we're going to keep going back to it because the world and our culture wants to move us away from truth, wants us to move us away from God's purposes and remold us into itself. And the truth is, daily, we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. The real question we have to struggle with and we have to work through is are we being renewed by the world or the word? Are we letting letting the culture erode us? Or are we letting God's word refine us? And, I mean, you can just look at your time. Like this past week, how much time did you spend watching news, watching TV shows and everything, and how much time did you spend in God's Word? Without God's Word, the discernment of good and evil moves around. And that's a hard question to ask, uh, but I think it's a worthy one. Paul continues to talk about biblical community and, and gives us some practical ways to live it out now, all based on this agape love demonstrated by God that we receive and distribute to others. And one of the ways we do is by being devoted to one another in love and honoring one another above ourselves. And here we have two more 
uh, Greek words of love. One is a, a parent to child, and one is brotherly love. And they kind of work together because typically it resembles uh, family by, by your bloodline. But here Paul is applying it to anyone who has put their faith in Christ is to be treated as family. And he's expanding the definition and reinforcing that it isn't just the Jews anymore. That God has opened up his family to the Gentiles and wants them to come to faith and then treat and care for one another as family. He goes on to say, honor one another above yourselves. And this honoring is, is a little bit competitive. Like we are supposed to go out of our way to try to out-honor one another. And the basis for this is in Rome, uh, as Paul is talking about this, there's an elite class and then there's a, a pretty much everybody else. And there's limited resources. And so even in the, the biblical community, even in the Christians, you look at each other and there's scarce resources that now we're competing for. And so we kind of, again, default to number one. And I've, I've got to get this and I've got to get that. I don't care if it hurts you or not. And, and Paul is proposing a radically, culturally different outlook and mindset for a community of believers. And he's saying instead of competing with one another, honor one another. In fact, outdo one another in honoring. And I've, I was thinking what this looked like, and I came up with something that's probably going to be dumb and I'll be made fun of for many, many years, and it's, it's just my life. But as I was thinking about this, I'm like, what would that look like practically? Is there any example of trying to outdo one another in honor? And the closest thing I could come up with is when Ann and I were dating and we'd be on the phone till late at night, I'd be like, you hang up first. No, no, you hang up first. I'm not gonna, I can't hang up on you. You hang up first. You, come on. Or, I love you more. No, 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 I love you more. You know, and, and these little games we play to show just how much we care, that is how we are supposed to go about trying to honor, not in an annoying, stupid way, okay? I honor you. No, don't do that. Um, but finding practical ways to honor one another. You see God doing something great in them, and you call it out and say, man, I'm so excited of what God's doing in your life. I'm so excited how God's using you. I celebrate with your family as God has brought on graduation with your family or whatever it is. And you find ways to honor one another. Yeah, uh, Anna and I don't do that anymore. Now it's, what do you need? And then she hangs up on me. I'm just kidding. She's actually here. Last, last service, I'm like, she's not here. I can say whatever I want. Now I've got to behave because she is here. Um, Paul goes on to say, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And it is so easy, isn't it? We start out in a new, new role, a new way of serving God, a new position, and you're going great guns. And then as the routine set in, and the mundane sets in, you kind of lose that excitement, you kind of lose that enthusiasm, you kind of lose that energy. And Paul's like, hey, I get it, but we need to go against it. We should never lose our energy and our enthusiasm about serving the Lord. And as, as I process this, I'm like, what, what makes us? What is usually behind someone going, 
yeah, it's just not my thing anymore. Uh, because I've had people straight up tell me, I don't do that anymore. I'm, I've moved on. I'm like, what did you move on to? Just on. It's like, oh, or they kind of have a mindset of, I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, so I don't have to do it anymore. I'm like, man, the example of Paul and some of the other people he interacts with is there's, there's no retirement. There's no long-term break from serving God. There should be something bubbling up inside of you that wants to, to continue to serve him. So here are the things that I came up with, and, and maybe send me an email with what you came up with, because I'd, I'd love to hear. The first one is forgetting the why, which in this case is a who. Because we don't necessarily start serving just because we want to do that task. We don't start serving just because we like routines. We say, hey, this is important to our God, the creator of the universe, the one who paid a huge price to redeem me from my sins that I couldn't pay for, and I want to serve him. And we lose sight of the why that's a who, and suddenly it becomes about us and the routines and the tasks, and it kind of diminishes. Another one might be some sin, maybe hidden sin in your life that you just kind of kept quiet and you kind of keep, keep secret. And it's just festering inside, and as the sin grows, it just drives a, a bigger and bigger wedge between you and God and between you and biblical community that wants to help you with that. And suddenly your, your love for that starts being more than your love for, for God, and your service suffers. And if that's you, it may be time just to come clean and repent and see what God does with your repentance. Another one uh, is maybe something else in your life has just taken a, a bigger priority. Maybe your passions and your energy are all being spent somewhere else. And so by the time you get to serving, you're exhausted and you don't have anything left. And so really, it's just kind of falling down the priority list. And then I would ask you to evaluate, what is that? Another way to go about it is to ask someone close to you, hey, when we're talking, when do you see me light up? When do you see me get excited and passionate and going on and on about something? What, what are those things? It might be a sports team, because there's one that's pretty awesome right now. It might be a hobby. It might be a person. It might be a cause. I don't know what it is for you. But I bet those close to you do. And it's okay to have all those things. But man, if it's at the expense of serving the Lord with enthusiasm and energy, you may need to, to reweigh those and reprioritize. Paul goes on to say, Be joyful in hope. And isn't this hard right now? I mean, how long has it been since every news cycle? There's some tragedy. There's something to fear. There's something that might come. There's something that's happened. There's chaos in this part of the country. There's shootings in our own community. I mean, over and over again, there's so many things that make you go, what's going on? And all these things are shouting at the top of their lungs and making you question if there's hope. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things that we need more people 
who are being transformed by God's word, renewing their minds, that are reminded daily that there is hope, that there is hope in the chaos, that there is hope in the troubles, there is hope in the tribulations, there is hope when you experience depression, there is hope when fear lurks its ugly head, there is hope in the peaks and in the valleys, there is hope for tomorrow and there is hope for today and there is hope because there is Jesus. And that anchors us in hope and allows us to experience joy that Paul is talking about. And that produces perseverance for those tribulations because we know that God is working and ultimately he wins and he sets everything back right. And he is true to his word and he has made that promise and we can expect that to happen. And in that hope, we can find the ability to be patient in affliction, to endure and be steadfast in the tribulations and the, the troubling times that we will face today and tomorrow, knowing that there will be a day where Jesus returns to rule and to reign, and we will be ready. And that will drive us to be faithful in prayer, devoted in prayer, remembering who this is all about, who it is for, and who is worthy to stand steadfast no matter what comes our way. And isn't that such a contrast to today's culture? If we had people joyfully going through whatever they have to go through because they know it's not the end. They know that there is hope. And we are able to tell people who our hope is in. Finally, Paul wraps it up with just something we teach our kids at a young age. Hey, little Susie, you need to share your car. Hey, little Johnny, you need to share your truck, whatever. And, and sharing. But it's funny that Paul has to tell us adults who are trying to teach our kids to share. But in Christian community, Paul says, we have to share with the Lord's people who are in need. Other believers that are struggling, we are supposed to take care of their needs. It might be emotional, spiritual, physical, financial. The body of Christ should be united in meeting needs. And we see a great picture of that in Acts of the early church. But he, Paul makes it clear that God's people take care of God's people. And so we need to know what the needs are. We need to make sure we're on the lookout and we need to be generous in meeting those needs. But then he ends this passage with practice hospitality. And the NIV doesn't do a great job with rendering practice because the, the real word is pursue. It isn't some passive, I hope an opportunity falls from the sky for me to be hospitable at some point. It's an active Seeking out ways to be hospitable. And you know, it's, I, there's so many opportunities for this. It may be someone across the street from you. Maybe someone moves into your neighborhood. And you see that U-Haul and you know what it's like to move. And to get to the end of the day and go, what are we going to do for food? 
Maybe you take them dinner. Maybe you invite them over for dinner. Maybe you just take them some kind of welcome package and go, we are so glad you're here, and try to open that door through hospitality to tell them about this God who loves you and loves them with agape. You know, we do a good job here. We've seen so many people pursue hospitality, even through fostering, bringing babies to teenagers into their home and caring for them. What a a great application of this. And a lot of them become adopted kids. And we we can continue to support them. Maybe there's someone in here who that's on their heart. You can check it out. But we can also be part of supporting those who are doing that. Because what I've learned from the people around me, they always would love a break. Maybe we watch kids, uh, foster kids for people who are are fostering and support them and love them that way or provide them meals. Great opportunity. At the end of of the summer, we're going to have a ton of international students coming to Little Rock, needing a ride to Conway to attend one of the campuses here in Conway. Great opportunity to pursue hospitality, meet them at the airport, maybe with a name that you can't pronounce, but you'll figure it out, right? Invite them into your car, bring them back, maybe stop by Walmart to get some supplies that they need, and even offer up a couch or a spare bedroom for them to lay their head the few days that lead up to the the campus opening up the dorms. We have the nations coming to Conway. And we need to roll out the red carpet of hospitality and say, welcome. And there's going to be lots of opportunities to do that. And I would love to see so many of our people making that trek to the airport, bringing people back, coming on Sunday and building those relationships. That would be amazing. Well, this passage, I think we can summarize uh, this way. Biblical community grows out of a loving heart, which transforms your relationships, your attitudes, and your actions. Biblical community grows out of a loving heart, which transforms your relationships, your attitudes, and your actions. Get in your Bible. Let God's Word saturate your life and orient you to Him so that we can live this love that He, the way He loves us, with other people, and build a strong community of believers. Each of us doing our own part. Because remember what Michael said last week, if, if you're missing, others are missing out. And the truth is, so are you. So contribute. Contribute with your life, with your service, with your gifts, so that you will be blessed and others will be blessed by you. Here's some next steps to consider. And maybe it spurs on something that fits you well. I'll ask God for someone to love practically and, I almost said tragically, tangibly this week. I will ask God, I'll try it one more time. I'll ask God for someone to love practically and tangibly this week. Man, maybe you realize my eyes have been focused on myself. I didn't even realize it, but all I think about is me. Maybe you just say, God, just one person. One simple need, one simple act of service, one simple way to say you are loved. Would you give that to me? Maybe there's a, one of these that stuck out to you. It's like, whoop, that's, that's a gaping hole in my life. Maybe you get with the Holy Spirit this week and just pray. 
Pray that God would change you in that area and give you applications that you can carry out this week, ways to, to see, ways to do, or even truth you need to hear so that you can live better in biblical community.